Welcome to the A-Game Podcast with Nick LaMagna, digging into the minds and experiences of some of today's brightest entrepreneurs in real estate and business, along with Hollywood stars, UFC fighters, and your favorite rock bands. People that have figured out how to overcome obstacles, take chances, live boldly, and no matter what they do, they always bring their A-game. Ever wanted to play the drums? Or do you want to get your kids some drum lessons to burn some of that energy while they are all locked up? Take advantage of a free drum lesson with one of the tri-state area's most respected drummers, Dan LaMagna. Dan LaMagna has played in such bands as Crown of Thorns, Suicide City, Biohazard, The Real McKenzie's, Sworn Enemy, The Walls of Jericho. He has played all over the world and he is also endorsed by such companies as DW, Vader, and Sabian. Dan has taught Tons of people from all different age groups and all different music styles. He can teach adults, kids, advanced, beginner, any types of styles from metal, all different types of percussion, whatever style you want. Get a free drum lesson today from Dan. All you need to do is text the word DRUMMER, D-R-U-M-M-E-R, to the number 833-482-0167. Again, text DRUMMER to 833-482-0167 for your free drum lesson. I get a lot of questions from people on uh, wanting to pick my brain, wanting to ask me about what I do, how do I do it, all kinds of things across the spectrum. One of the things I try and answer back with is there's a few different ways that we can work together. People can either um, participate by being a buyer, being a seller, or being a partner, and that's really the best way to learn. So if people have questions that have reached out to me, the best thing to do is jump on www.nicknicknick.com. And you can schedule a consultation if you're looking to sell properties, buy part properties, partner on some deals, or just get a general consultation to see where we can even fit in and where we can do business together. On any level, there's options for that to set some stuff up. So please visit www.nicknicknick.com to buy, to sell, or to partner on real estate deals or opportunities. That is the place to go. That is the best way to start making money and learning the process. All right, welcome to the A-Game Podcast. My guest today from Live Oak Investments is Jennings Smith. We were actually just getting pretty deep into a conversation, and I had to pause him because I thought the information he was giving was great. But uh, he's a multi-unit investor. He's gone from, um, in the last year, up to 185 units, right? That's right. So, uh, yeah, it's up to 185 units. So um, we were just talking about it, and I just like his story because I think no matter where you are in your career, whether you're somebody who's in single family willing to go up to a small apartment unit or somebody that's starting out with a couple of residential houses and trying to figure out how can you scale up and go to 100, 150, 180 units or just learning from the ups and downs of that balance or especially right now when we're all under quarantine and nobody really knows what's going on in the market and you know everybody has an opinion, but what are you doing? What's working? Because I really think there's a lot of smart people saying a lot of smart things and I don't think any of them are... are necessarily right or wrong. I think everybody's just giving their best educated guess, which is great. But I've seen so much confliction from very good, smart, investor savvy people, but we're really not going to know for a week, a month, two months, what really happened and how it's really going to shake out. So um, I'll let you do a quick intro on you and your company. And then um, we'll just start going through. We'll start from your first deal. We'll take through the year. We'll go through some of the the balance stuff that we were talking about, and then we'll talk about what you're doing now and some of the, the things you were saying that I thought was awesome for ways to adjust and really start to do things now while people are scared and sellers are a little uneasy. So 
Jennings, my friend, take it away. Yeah, thanks for having me, Nick. I appreciate it. My background is when I was 15, I started building stuff. I really have always liked construction and started a construction company. And so I had an entrepreneurial bug from the beginning, um, building rental homes for um, my dad. And then that moved into building custom homes for people once I had a portfolio. And uh, about five years ago, I was able to scrape together enough money to buy some mobile homes. And then I would sell those owner financed. And that was kind of my first foray into investment property. Um, My dad had done, you know, moderate portfolio is about 15 homes. And so he kind of said, Jenny, this is the way to build wealth. You got to get into to single family rentals. And so I built my um, nest egg there until I was able to scrape together about 20 grand and buy my first uh, rental home for hundred grand. And then I waited another year, scraped together another 25 grand and, and bought another one. And then I just sort of sat, did some other things with the business and it, it kind of discouraged me in a way because it was so slow. It's like, it was exciting. I built a few hundred dollars a month in, in income, but I knew that every time I wanted to buy something, I was going to have to start over and save up another down payment. And so that led me to looking around as to how are these guys buying these things without using their own money? Because if I can figure that out, then I can, you know, blow up my portfolio, I can get as big as I want to get. And because I was getting really tired of construction, I wasn't feeling it anymore. Like I I was, I didn't want to be slaving for custom clients all the time. Um, I wanted to build my own, I mean, I had my own business, but I wanted to do my own thing and not be beholden to so many clients, if that makes sense. And so, yeah, I think uh, something that's powerful is getting that first deal done. And that might be a duplex or a single family home uh, or a small apartment. For me, it was getting my first deal done through sort of a joint venture uh, and not using my own capital and doing it on my own. Um, so I took a course, the uh, Michael Blank, he has a educational course online. It's about 2000 bucks. And that is a really good like building block course for, for just learning how to underwrite multifamily how to syndicate, how to raise money, and and making sure you you understand the basics. Um, are you familiar with Michael Blank? I saw you nodding there. Yeah, I am definitely. Yeah, so good guy. And uh, I took that course and I just started looking online, and I was able to uncover a small twelve unit in North Carolina that was listed for like two seventy five. I got it for two fifty. It was losing money. Um, poor management. The rents weren't high enough that they were paying for all the water and sewer and propane. They'd had no, you know, utility bill back system. And so I just, I saw uh, opportunity there and I approached the owner. I said, Hey, no bank's going to finance this deal. It's not bankable. It's like, you're right. I'll do owner financing. So he wanted 30% down. And so I went to an investor and got $90,000 from him. He saw the numbers. I mean, I put out, you know, made a little sheet off of Michael Blank stuff. It was, it was just copy and paste. You know, I wasn't really reinventing the wheel, um, but was able to convince him to give me $90,000 and we closed the deal. And now we're about, I don't know, 10 months into that. Well, no, we're about a year. It's been about a year since we bought it and we're hopefully going to refinance it 
uh, in late summer in August. And so we've raised rents up. We got a new management company. We instituted a utility bill back. Uh, and I live about five hours away from this project. So it wasn't like right in my backyard even. Um, but that deal gave me a ton of, of strength to, oh, there's my son. Hey, hey. <laughs> how's it going? All right, I got to be on this call. What are you doing? <laughs> All right, I thought you talked on your phone. Um, so yeah, it's just like that video on uh, YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we're in quarantine, you know. Got to roll yeah. with the punches. Um, but yeah, so we we then got. I went to one of Tim Brott's events. Maybe some of your listeners have heard of him, and that really poured jet fuel on what we were doing. It was like, holy cow, this guy is refinancing in 18 months, doing cash out. He's, and he's taking a lot more equity because I gave away 60% of the equity to that investor, which was still a pretty good split. And I, cause I wasn't paying a preferred return. Um, but I figured out how we could give away just 10 to 20% of the equity to the investor and pay a, a preferred return, take on a little bit more risk, um, but get bigger pieces of equity and do bigger deals and involve more players, like take on more partners. So you didn't have to do everything yourself, which I think was huge. Um, so yeah, so then we took down a 63 unit of a 41 unit. We took down two trailer parks, um, took down an 18 unit apartment. And now we're working on a 208 unit, a 112 unit and a 48 unit and maybe a 63 unit that we're, we're in the midst of negotiations on, um, on our way to a thousand is, is what we're kind of, that's our next milestone. Dude, that is outstanding. That's awesome. I love that. So for people that listen to this, I hear every day, there's no deals. <laughs> and every day, you know, you're on that page. So, you know, we share a lot of the same circles on social media and every day there's somebody going, I have a deal I'm looking for financing on, or I'm refining this. Like every single day, people are getting deals. So I like that. And one of the things I thought was really cool is, again, you know, you you went to the same event that I went with in, in the Tim Bratz event, and there's somebody that sits there probably right next to you, and then they leave there and they go, there's no deals. This doesn't work. Yeah, it works for Tim because he's got 3,000 doors. It works. For, and they make excuses why it works for everybody else. But then literally – Somebody sitting right next to them like you goes out and takes the same exact information and just does something with it and just stays persistent with it and gets, you know, 180 units this year working on all these other units. And I just think that's cool because everybody has the same opportunities. It's just a matter of, you know, what are you going to do with them? How are you going to react when things get tough? But I definitely think people jump from course to course and seminar to seminar and person to person and asset to asset just looking for the thing that's going to make them rich without having to do any work. And that never exists. So um, obviously I'm sure you worked your butt off to do that, but talk a little bit about um, starting out and getting into that because in a market right now where, you know, it's probably the most competitive it's been as far as multi-units. There's a lot of people out there looking for them. Um, Lee Kearney always says that there's a lot of dumb money out there. People just overpaying for properties, but you're still getting quality deals in there. So how many different markets are you in? Um, what's your setup like for, for lead generation for deals? Have you had to put out a ton of offers? Are you getting a lot of rejection? Um, you know, talk a little bit about how you're finding your markets and how you're finding your deals. Okay, great. Yeah, I, I, I'll say I think that 
one of the things that held me back and I can see it holding other people back in the beginning is it's this underlying current of fear of like, where you really don't, you don't want to find a deal because you knew if you did find a deal, you wouldn't be able to close it and you'd be too scared and you couldn't raise the money and you couldn't get the loan. And maybe your credit isn't great. And you don't know who would be the boots on the ground guy and who's going to run the renovation. And, and those things prevent you from finding those deal because you really don't want to find that deal. And you're, you're, you know, the universe or whatever, isn't going to deliver that to you if you really don't want it. And for me, I think it's building that belief because you can't just wake up and say, yes, I've got the ability, resources, and mindset to take down a 200 unit apartment complex. You know, you, you may not, but for me, I had to kind of get there. Like the 12 unit wasn't so scary. Like I could get my arms wrapped around that, but the 63 unit that was 3.8 million with a $900,000 renovation recourse bridge debt. I mean, I was like, I was scared. I was really scared to take that deal on. And so I partnered with somebody who had a lot more um, experience than I did and a lot more net worth than I did. And that helped me get across that bridge. And I feel like when you're doing this stuff, if you can just convince your brain, like, just do the next thing, like do the next thing in, in, in the order of events and what you, what the resources you need will come to you and the people you need will come to you and the, the doors will open. If you can get it under contract, you'll find the partners. If you can find the partners, you'll find the investors. If you can find the investors, you'll find the bank. It, like, And if it doesn't work out, you you at least know a whole lot more than you did before you started. And maybe next time it'll work out. So I think that before we get into like tactical, like how do you find deals? I think most people, they really aren't trying because they really don't want to find a deal deep down. They wouldn't say that, but think about, are, are you scared? Because if you're scared, that's okay but you just got to take it one step at a time. I think that that's amazing. I've actually never heard somebody put it like that before, but I think you absolutely nailed it. Even me thinking about it now at the times that I was kind of half and half out, I was too busy to really focus on it. I think I really didn't want it to come through because I really didn't have the time to focus on it. And I think you're right. And as far as being scared, you know, I always, the the thing I was saying to you earlier when we first jumped on before we started recording is, I, I like the parallels because that old how you do anything is how you do everything I've really found to be true. And there's people that are just never going to let fear of doing something, keep them from doing it. And there's people that are always going to do that, regardless of what it is, whether it's, you know, crossing the street, getting on a plane, going on a vacation, fighting a guy in a cage or buying a hundred units. And I think that that fear keeps too many people, but I think the misconception is that people think that nobody's scared. Like I'm sure there's some level of Tim Bratz that's going, Holy crap. There was the coronavirus. I'm $300 million in debt. If nobody pays their rent this month, what the hell am I going to do? Like, but the other side of that is the logical part of it makes you know, like, no, you know, that's everybody's not going to not pay the rent. You know, I think, you know, like you said, anybody again, not to ramble too much, but when you talk about fighting, you listen to the guys that get their butts kicked. And then when they go on the interviews after, they were like, you know what? I knew I wasn't going to do good tonight because when I was walking to the cage or the ring, I wasn't scared at all. So I feel like it's totally normal, no matter what. Like you, you're comfortable with the 12 unit. It's not so bad. You do that. Now you go into a 24 unit, a little bit scary. Then you go to a 48 unit and same thing. Somebody's scared to buy their first single family home, do their first flip, get their first rental. They do it. Oh man, I'm scared to do a fourplex. But 
you just start to get into those bigger things and your comfort level starts to get a little bit bigger. So did you, I know you said you had a construction background, but did you start investing at all in single family homes prior to multi-units or was that 12 unit your first investment property? No, I had about, I think I had four or five trailers and two single family homes before I bought the 12 units. So my, my first foray into it was $5,000 for a double wide that didn't have any HVAC and was trashed. And I put five grand into it and I sold it for 20. So that was my first kind of deal. And then they defaulted and I had to take it back and remodel it again. And I could have quit right there because it, it sucked. Like it, it was, did not work out the way that I thought, but I remodeled it again and then I just sold it straight up instead of trying to owner finance it. But then I did, I've done that seven or eight times. I mean, I, I have, uh, I've done very well. I mean, I just, I buy them, I fix them up. I sell them for about twice what my cost basis is. And I owner finance it for five or six years at 14% interest. And it's a, I mean, it's a solid return. It's just not that scalable. You know, it's not big dollars. You're talking, you know, for a couple hundred bucks a month, but it does add up. I mean, it's a good, it's a good way to just start. I mean, that might be a, a, a nice thing to think about is like, if you can buy a mobile home, people, if they can afford the payment, if that payment is less than rent, you can sell it for whatever price you want. Um, and if you can sell them something that's already fixed up that they don't have to dump a ton of cash into, because people don't have cash, but they have payment money. They have $700, $800 a month and you can sell them a, $10,000 trailer for 20 uh, all day long, as long as you're only requiring a few thousand down and it's livable from day one, then, and then they, you don't have to maintain it. I mean, then that is kind of a cool thing to just dip your foot in the water. If you're willing to go into the wild west of, of mobile homes and stuff. Yeah. From, from what I understand with those, I had a friend that did pretty well with them. They don't really offer financing on used mobile homes, right? Only new ones. So there's a whole market for you doing seller financing on that. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, and mobile home parks are amazing because of the leverage where you, if someone's not paying their, their lot rent of $200, you essentially can take their home. I mean, you say, you got to move your home out of my park because you're not paying rent. And if they don't have $200, they don't have $2,000 to move it. And so they either pay or they abandon the home and then you can easily recoup the cost of your lost lot rent. Um, and so you have just a ton of leverage in, in mobile home parks. Um, but anyways, I, digress but um Great, man. My, my other question for you is obviously the entrepreneurial ships in your blood you said your dad was picking up maybe 15 units had some portfolios and stuff um obviously you have a family that just i just met them hello <laughs> um how how are they when you first started saying hey i'm gonna get in i'm gonna buy this 12 unit or i'm gonna do this nine hundred thousand dollar renovation on this three and a half million apartment um, was it a hard seller or have you and your wife always been a, a team from the beginning? Because I, I do meet a ton of people that one person's go, go, go. And, and then the spouse or the business partner or somebody at home is really the red light. And that makes things very hard. But it changes the game completely when you have that support at home. Yeah, absolutely. And I would say my wife is is 100%. Um, I, she's not 100% on board with all of my ideas because sometimes, <laughs> you know, but she was very comfortable with the mobile homes and the rental homes, um, even the 12 unit. Now, I will say once I told her, hey, we're going to buy a, you know, almost $5 million deal here. She she hit the brakes pretty hard and wanted to know, like, what are you doing? Do you know what you're doing? And and that's important. You you do need to know what you're doing and, and not to get yourself in trouble. I mean, there's always 
risk, but, um, but she was not like, absolutely not. We're not doing this. Um, but it definitely took some, um, convincing and, and, and talking it through, but her father, uh, was kind of an entrepreneurial type too. So she sort of grew up being used to like, Hey, we, we have businesses, we take risks, we buy rental property and she was okay with that. And that that's huge. And I mean, cause I've done a lot of, of crazy things in my life, <laughs> um, as far as with, with business ideas and opportunities. And she's, uh, always, you know, I mean, she's been hesitant about things, but she trusts me. And I think that's an important thing is build a track record with your spouse of trust. And if your spouse doesn't trust you to take down the $5 million building, you know, is there a reason? I mean, is she right? Is he right? Like, should you not be doing that? Should you, should you be working your way up to that? Should you be proving it and earning that position? And maybe they're just having a limiting belief and maybe you guys got to work through that. I don't know. But uh, I think that I built trust with my wife over the years of, of safely and successfully doing business ventures. And so she was not thrilled about it, but she was okay with it. And now she's, well, she's happy with it. But of course we're taking on some risk here with this um, coronavirus. So, um, but it's, it's limited, you know, we're not over leveraged. Like our, the 63 unit as is brings in about 45,000 a month. We're going to 65. That's where we're stabilized, but our payment's only 17,000. So, you know, if 50% of the people don't pay, we still have enough to pay that mortgage. And we still have three months worth of of mortgage payments in our reserve account on top of that. And so that's the kind of thing that you need to take courses. You need to educate yourself. You need to think about how much carrying costs. If I'm buying a 50% vacant building, you better think about like, okay, I mean, how long is it going to take me from from getting to here to ramping completely up so that you don't get jammed up? Because you you start going back to investors needing more money, getting stressed out. Like this gets not fun real fast. Yeah. I, I feel like um, for a little bit there, I had PTSD from mine because, you know, there we're in such a different time that with the people that are out there with the Michael Blanks and the Tim Bratz and, and the guys like you that are, you know, on all these different levels, when you start to do hundreds and thousands of units, they're not all going to go great. And I, I learned the hard way from somebody that I thought had all this experience and was teaching me. And we jumped into a bunch of deals, picked up a hundred units. And I realized one day he called me and goes, look, I haven't made the payments on the water or the electricity or anything in like three months. I don't have any money. And I was like, uh, like, like I borrowed all this private money that you don't give a shit about, obviously, you know? So I had to go in and learn all those lessons and like unscrew that whole project. And I was very upset about it when it happened. Like you said, it was, it wasn't fun. It was very stressful, but the stuff I learned from actually now having to go in and take a building that I bought that was bad, that had now become worse and like turn it around and really the learning experience there. So I I love hearing, you know, everybody can put the highlights on social media of all the good stuff. But when I'm going to be partnering with somebody or learning from somebody or working with somebody, I also want to know that they know what not to do when they know about those lumps and things like that, because those become equally important. Like you said, you better have some sort of coaching or, or some sort of mentorship or JVing with somebody that has been around a little bit and knows the ins and outs of that. So you don't have to have those tough times. And that's what I think is really cool about what, you know, things like this, just podcasts and getting on and somebody just learning what questions to ask and what not to do is, is super, super important. And I think that there's huge value in that. 
Absolutely. I mean, you think about our resources and, you know, it's like levels, like you got money and then you have time, which is more valuable than money. And then you have knowledge, you know, your brain, like your brain is the most valuable thing ever. All human wealth has been created by thoughts in your brain. And so if you can partner with someone that has 10, 15 years and hundreds of millions of dollars of experience, or even or even just way more than you have, you know, you can avoid a heck of a lot of pain. Uh, and that's why, you know, I think it's worth it to, to do educational stuff and it's worth it to partner with people and give up equity, uh, at least for the first couple of deals to, to, so that you don't go bankrupt. I mean, that's going to set you back a long ways if you, if you really screw up. And so not as, not as a fear thing, but it's just, to me, it makes sense to, I don't have to get the whole piece of the pie. I mean, that first big deal we did, I own, I think, 27% of that. And that's a good shake at it. But um, but if I had tried to get, you know, all of it, I, I, the deal never would have gotten done. Yeah, it's the old half of something is better than all or nothing every single day, right? That all starts to add up. Absolutely. And, and we've done that with, um, as we've grown, we've started to partner with guys that are trying to get into the game initially where they have a good deal and but they don't know what to do with it they don't know how to raise money or they don't have the legal docs or whatever and we've um, partnered with them so that they can get a piece of the pie and they can learn from us and then we can you know all all get a deal done instead of it just dying on the vine i think that's awesome man now the seller financing stuff that's interesting because i don't see as far as tim's model you don't see a lot of that right now and i know when guys have cash you can always obviously get a better deal if you come with all cash. But I also do really like, and I think with everything that's happening right now, it's a great time for that strategy to actually go to an owner who might not be in a great spot, have them hold some paper on that, especially while the banks really aren't sure what they're doing. So um, the the 36 unit and the 66 unit that I had done, it was very similar that we negotiated. The seller was going to hold 90%. We were going to have to put down 10%. I borrowed private money. We put it in. Um, like, you know, Tim always says over borrow, make sure you have all those things lined up. But I think that that's a great strategy for coming in for commercial buildings. That, that's a huge thing. And then having that plan, you know, one of them, we had a, I think a five year balloon with the, an option to extend it for three. So then when you do get approved for the refi, you can go back and actually cut a sweeter deal, go back to the owner and be like, look, I was going to have you carry the paper for potentially eight years. If I cash you out in two you know, what can you do for me as far as the price goes? So I haven't really had anybody on that's been talking much about that seller finance strategy. I think it's an awesome one. Talk a little bit about um, the approach to that and, and why that's helped you and how that's a good strategy for multi-units. So that's something I picked up from Michael Blank. I mean, he says, always ask for seller financing, always ask for seller carry. And we do. Um, we don't always get it, but, and and we don't always ask for, like we, okay, in commercial, you can do a seller carry as an, in a second position. So it's not necessarily like if you're buying something for a million dollars, they're holding 900,000. You may be, you're getting 750 from the bank, you're getting 200 from them, and you're only having to put, come up with 50,000 in cash, something like that. Now, most banks will require you to be putting at least uh, 10% down. Um, there's also stuff called like transactional funding where, say the seller was going to carry 250,000 of a million dollar purchase price. So they're going to bring the whole 25% and 
and the bank's going to loan you 75%. And then you go to another guy who has 250 grand in the bank and he gives you 250 grand for one day. So you close, the seller gets his money from the bank and then he gives you back $250,000, which then you then give back to the transactional funding guy. Now I have not personally done that. We got close on one deal, but it didn't work out. But we are, we're trying to get the seller to hold 10 to 15% of that down payment because if you can do that, your returns for your investors get a lot better. And so you can afford to pay a little bit more for a deal than you would without that piece. So if you've got to raise 500 grand for a $2 million buy, and then all of a, all of a sudden you only have to raise 200 grand, well, those those investors are still getting the same slice of equity. So their returns are going to be better versus you having to get $500,000. I mean, there's more people, the pie gets cut up because the um, owner, yes, he's getting interest on his money, but he's not getting an equity piece in that deal. And so you can make your deal for your investors a little bit better. So seller financing, even if it's only like 10%, 15% can really change the numbers on your underwriting and make a deal that didn't, really looked that good, look better. That's outstanding, man. I love that. And I completely agree. And I think, again, that's going to be a, a really cool thing that I think more people are going to start to push and take advantage of with all the coronavirus scare stuff going on. So I think that's really cool. Um, as far as, as markets and things like that, what are you, are you going after deers yourselves? Or are you doing the old, you know, having other people are using social media how are you picking your markets? How are you finding your deals? You know, again, I, w- I don't want you to give away your secret sauce or anything like that, but just some general things of, um, you know, your practices for how you're finding things. Because I know that there's people that pay a lot of money in marketing. I know there's the Stephen Ty Morris type of guys that they just use their social media and they, you know, get deals coming there. I think Tim's a little bit of a hybrid of it. So um, what kind of things are you doing? So, yeah, it, initially, I'll say, I'll admit, we, we kind of got lucky. Uh, my, my partner, Yaden, he's, uh, he lives in the same town as me. He's also a real estate broker. And that big, uh, the 63 unit came through uh, a colleague of his, another broker. Before it came to market, he's like, hey, I got this. You guys want to look at it? Because Yaden had been saying, hey, we're going to buy real estate now. I mean, we had just gone to the conference and um, <laughs> so we got lucky there. Uh, and the 12 unit was listed on the MLS. So I just found that on the MLS. So a lot of people think, Oh, there's no good deals on the MLS. And I don't think that's true. I think you can, usually the prices are too high, but you never know who's going to take your offer. And most people won't take an offer or they won't make an offer. If they're not within 10% of what they're asking, they're like, ah, they'll never consider my offer, but they will a lot of times. Um, Or they say, no, who cares? Like, so what? The guy said no to you. You're never going to see that guy. Like, why do you care what that guy's going to think about you and your stupid low offer? Like, it, it doesn't matter. He's going to hit the lead and that's the end of it. Like, move on with your life. But that was a big thing for me because I, I, I was like, for once, whatever reason, I didn't want to make too low of an offer, which is stupid. But um, so we then started like reaching out to wholesalers. I feel like I'm not a wholesaler, but a lot of people in that market are good wholesalers and they come across deals and they don't know what to do with them. Um, and they see the power of multifamily. And so we'll say, Hey, we'll give you, um, you know, 10% of the deal. If you just bring us the deal, like just bring us the deal. We'll give you 10% equity. You don't have to do anything else. Like we'll, we'll manage everything. You're going to own this thing, cash out, refi equity, 
cash flows, everything. So some of them, that's, that's what they want. Others want to be more involved and we can parcel out pieces um, that way too. Uh, so we've gotten some stuff through wholesalers and most recently we've ramped up um, through Mark Evans. Mark Evans has been, I'm in the DM family. Um, yeah. So the, his, his thing is building your email list, direct email and how important your social media and just your platform, YouTube, whatever you want to call it, your personal brand, you know, the A-game podcast, Nick LaManga, Nick, 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 you know, all the things that you're doing to build your personal brand that increases deal flow, that increases money flow, you know, where attention goes, money flows as Grant Cardone says, and it's true. Um, and so we, Yaden and I have been really ramping that up uh, with sending out daily emails Posted in the Facebook groups, scraping emails off Reonomy. We pay for the Reonomy is a software that you can find who owns commercial uh, real estate. And so we're downloading 500 contacts a month, putting them into our database. And um, I just, we're buying, we're selling. This is a case study. This is how we pay investors. This is the deals we have coming up. Just anything to, it doesn't even matter if they read it. We just want them to see like Yaden and Jennings in their inbox and like, Oh yeah, these these guys buy multifamily. So if and when they come across something, or they ever want to invest in something, they reach out to us, and and we can we can help them. Um, so that strategy has created some some traction because we have not gotten anything under contract in the last three or four months. Like we went through a drought there. Um, I don't know what it was. I mean, we were we were trying, we were putting in offers, but nothing was was shaking, and now since the coronavirus brokers that stuff was under contract and they flaked out they reached out to us instead of somebody else and uh and we were able to get you know stuff at really really good cost basis because people are scared in this three week one month two month window and that's the thing we don't know how long this is going to be and there's power there and as we were saying before we started the podcast if you have the guts to pull the trigger put it under contract like you're going to have 45 days of due diligence or 30 days or whatever you negotiate, negotiate as long as you can. And then you can also put an extension in there saying, Hey, I'm going to put another 10 grand down, which is still refundable. It's part of my earnest money. And that'll extend my contract another 30 days, extend my due diligence another 30 days. And then I have another 45 days or 30 days to close it. I mean, it's all uh, relative, but you're talking 90 days before you really have to make a, a multi-million dollar decision. And we're going to know a lot more about the coronavirus. And if things go well, you're going to buy it. But if things go well and you sat on the fence for three months, they're not going to be so apt to talk to you, to respond to your offer, to put it under contract now, to get a buyer. People want cash. Anytime there's a crisis, everybody flees to cash and, and, and selling that apartment complex is fleeing to cash. So if you can help them get that done, I mean, we had a deal where these people wouldn't even talk to us. They wanted like almost 2 million bucks for a 24 unit in Charleston, which is a hot market and offering one, five, one, five. Then they found out like, well, you know, one, six, eight and the coronavirus had just hit. And I was like, no, one, five. Okay. We'll, we'll take one, five, but we want you to shorten your due diligence period. No. Okay, we'll take it. I mean, it is, it, they completely folded everything. Um, another deal, 33, or 35,000 a unit, 
for something built in 1997, 100 plus units. And the, the buyer flaked out. We came and offered 400 grand less and they took it. So you got to keep swinging the bat, even though you're scared. And, and I'm, a, I'm nervous too, but I know that I've got an emergency shoot. I mean, if, if three months from now, we're still in lockdown, no one's working, the economy's going to hell. Like, I mean, I'm not going to close those deals, but I don't know what's going to happen. So I'm putting myself in a position to win. Awesome. You know, like you said, when things change, I like what Tim was saying. He said two things. One was, you know, never waste a good recession, which I think is awesome. Because again, you look at how many people bought and made so much money when everybody was running away from real estate in the last crash. And the other thing is when you talk to those sellers, he was saying the same thing, like getting on the phone with them now and telling them people are scared. You're never going to get a better offer in the next 12 months than you are today because things are going to keep going lower. So take my offer. So I love that. And you can always, again, th things go different. You can retrade, but at least you have other contract. At least you have control of them. And, and to what you said, I, I completely agree because all my deals prior, I'm, I'm finally getting into doing some direct marketing and things like that. But I've always just been word of mouth and I've used the MLS and I've used wholesalers and relationships like that. And, you know, the, the old Kiyosaki thing with going against the trends, everybody's going away from the MLS. So to think that there's never any deals there when everybody's ignoring it, it's like you said, at the asking prices that they have, yeah, there's no deals there. But the thing we always joke about is the two most common phrases we hear from our realtors are one, they will never accept that offer. And two is, holy crap, I can't believe they accepted that offer. Because yeah. it happens, you know, it's the same thing with people that get on the phone, they'll call, have their cold callers call two, three, four, five hundred people a week. If you put four or 500 offers out to buyers on the MLS, you're still going to get some deals off of it. You know, it's just, I've never really cared where the deal came from. I've always just been a big believer in put the word out everywhere, who you are, and what you're doing. And just, I'm buying, I'm buying, I'm buying. And like you said, when they're looking for a reliable source to come back, when somebody else flakes, you're the first phone call they make. So I think that that's absolutely awesome. And, and looking outside of your immediate market, I think that's a limiting belief, especially if you live in a market that's solid like Chicago or, or Charleston. And, and I mean, the stuff we're looking for is value add. And so any, any metropolis, it's going to be hard to find a, a good deal there. Um, and I wasn't comfortable expanding my radius until recently. And, but yeah, once I, once I got outside of that, of, of Somerville and Charleston, uh, you know, you can get stuff at a lot better cost basis. And you just got to look at those areas that are, uh, solid rental rates and then solid economies, but the price per door for whatever reason is, is fairly low. I mean, when you're looking at buying something for 35, 37,000 a door, yet you can rent it for 600. When you think about the old rule of like the 1% rule, buy a $100,000 house that you can rent for a thousand a month. I mean, 35,000 to 600. I mean, that's almost 2%. I mean, that's one and a half plus percent you're going to make a good spread there. You're going to run it efficiently. You're going to be able to, to most likely be profitable. And you got to look at all the variables, but uh, those kind of deals you're not going to find in Chicago or even Charleston. Um, un unless you're in a unique scenario, like right now, I mean, the, the North Charleston deal, we're at 60,000 a door and we can rent it for about 900. So it's about 1.5 multiple, which is, is solid. Um, but, and I really like the market. I know that the Charleston market is going to continue to appreciate in the foreseeable future. I think it will. Yeah, it's a great market. I see a lot of people doing a lot of stuff there. I know Tim's got his vacation house there, his beach house there. It's, yeah. It's good yeah. Um, the other thing you said that um, 
I literally just did a YouTube video on picking markets and, and I love exactly that. So I always have done things remotely by almost force just because I started out in New York City, didn't have money, didn't have experience. So I had to find these markets like the Georgias and the Charlottes and Vegas and Detroit and stuff that I could buy stuff for like 30, 40, 50 grand back then because it just seemed like it was more attainable. So I've always been comfortable with doing things remotely, but I like exactly like you're saying, the, the video I had done prior was, you know, find those competitive markets and look at the tertiary of the suburbs around them for an hour, an hour or two over there. You'll find some good pockets that isn't as competitive that you can probably do deals for, you know, a half or a third of the price as the major markets with a little bit less competition, get some great cash flow. So, you know, it's like you said, I don't care where you are, you could throw a, a, a dart at a map. And you'll find investors everywhere that are finding some place to go do deals within the general vicinity of a major market. It's just, you know, uh, I don't know if it's relevant to this, but like Jesus didn't create miracles in his own city. People <laughs> look at markets and there's no deals in my market. And then you talk to somebody in a different market that's doing deals in your market. It's just because sometimes like those blinders, um, they, I don't know, just people yeah. have emotional attachments. They don't think that there's anything there, but they're looking at them through a different lens. And I think it is it is a good idea to to look in your market first and and to be willing to put the work in. You know, you may not get lucky right off the bat. You may have to uh, build a list. And, and I think a lot of people in the beginning are scared to put it out there, like to raise their hand and say, "I want to buy," or "I'm buying multifamily." Because what if it doesn't work? What if everyone thinks that I'm stupid? What if I don't ever buy anything and I'm I'm a fake? I, I haven't ever bought anything and. Well, if nobody knows that you want to buy that, then nobody's going to send you anything. You're never going to know anything. Like, what are you, a secret agent? Like, you know, you got to put it out there that this is what you're doing. And uh, it goes back to being afraid of what people that don't matter think about you. Um, there's this quote I love. It's like, where, if your goals are bigger than your need to be liked, you're going to achieve your goals. But if your need to be liked is bigger than your goals, then that's going to become your ultimate goal. And it's so true. Like everything that you're is holding you back from going for something is probably your, your fear of what are people going to think of me? Are people going to like me? And, and that's stopping your goals. That's becoming your ultimate goal is the need to be liked by someone you don't even care about. It's so crazy. That's one of the things that most um, caught my attention about Mark Evans. I was like, this guy doesn't give a crap what anybody <laughs> thinks of him. He's going to say whatever he wants to say. He's going to do whatever he's go he wants to do. And he was really given some like amazing tough love to a lot of the guys of the couple of the commercial empires that I met him at. And, uh, you know, even at his event, all this stuff, he, I did a podcast with him and he was a big reason why I actually hired an assistant. He just, he has a way of just kind of slapping that insecurity or that like a logical thought out of you and just kind of just do it. So I relate really well to that. So um, talk to me too a little bit about, I didn't know you're part of the DM family. I know some guys that are part of that. I know Mark pretty well. Um, I think that that's a great group. I love what they're doing. Masterminds have been a huge piece of my just mental growth, business growth. Um, again, like slapping a lot of those stupid thoughts about caring what people think and surrounding myself with people who are doing things, not just talking about things. So um, for you, I don't know if you're a part of any other ones, but how is being part of a mastermind and surrounding yourself with a, a group of people that are all helping you level up and go-getters and sharing all those experiences and stuff. How has that helped you um, personally and professionally? So I really had never even heard of masterminds much until I went to the event I was at with you. Uh, and 
I thought this is stupid. Like who would, you know, who would pay all this money and like to hang out? Like I, that does makes no sense. But as I got into this world, I realized, okay, a lot of people I really respect and admire that are really doing things are, are in these things. And, and the more I read, um, the more I saw that maybe there, maybe I don't know everything. Maybe there's something to this. And, um, and so, yeah, I, I was thinking like, man, if I joined a mastermind, I would want to, I think the only one I'd want to join is Mark's. Um, and it's full, you know, there's 33 people in it and no more. And, uh, but I, I built a relationship with Mark texting him, talking to him. And he actually invested in a, a foreclosure deal with me. Um, and, I was like, wow, you know, this guy is legit. Like, he, like in his story in Commercial Empire, he wired 10, 10 grand. You know, he wired me 75 grand for a deal. And I mean, he met me one time. It's like, okay, this guy is, he, he trusts me and, and I'm going to try to deliver for him. And so as we built that, uh, a spot opened up and he called me and asked me if I wanted to take it. And I had just had to pay for a foreclosure I had a hard money loan on it and I had to pay $30,000 to just pay the hard money loan off. And it was like the worst timing. Um, I was like, you know, can I put it on payments? And he's like, no, you have to pay the whole thing up front right now. Um, so I was like, all right, I'll do it. And he's like, well, what's your wife's going to think? I was like, I don't know. It's not, not going to be good. He's like, well, she knows you're crazy. She married you. So I, I, I talked her into that. That was one of the ones that it was like, kind of like, what are you thinking? But she got on board with it. And, uh, and yeah, it's, it's, it's been amazing. I think proximity is power. You know, everybody in the DM family is doing big things is working or is already at multi-million dollar businesses. Um, and it's probably not the best mastermind for like your first, uh, like if you, if you're just starting out. Um, but if you have a, a, a business mechanism that he can pour jet fuel onto, I feel like that's the, the the huge value add of these things. And, and there's a, there's a spirit of like friendly competition where you want to, you want to fit into that group. You want to pull your weight. You want to be a contributor. And, uh, and there's like, that levels you up alone, just being with those types of people. And then Mark, yeah, I mean, he's talking about like, what we should be focusing on during this thing, you know, different opportunities. Um, there's other businesses he's building. There's opportunities to partner with him. There's opportunities to partner with the other guys in the DM family. And yeah, you're, you're able to closely associate with 33 other millionaires or soon to be uh, millionaires. And I like that. Um, and I've seen it in my construction company. I joined a franchise and it was basically a mastermind. It was a mastermind of all other builders networking and doing this, the ways that uh, doing things the same way. And my business, I mean, doubled in revenue. I was able to create a saleable and scalable construction company, which is almost impossible in the residential world and become a master franchisor over a territory, which I also then uh, sold, you know, for three uh, X multiple of its revenue. So I saw the power of a mastermind with joining Alaire Homes, which is a um, a custom franchise for for custom builders. Um, and so I, I thought, hey, I'm, I'm I'm putting all my chips into real estate and doing this. I, I need to be in a group like this, and so I joined the DM family. That's awesome, and I, and I, I couldn't agree more. The 
just the surrounding and the accountability and the friendly competition, there's stuff like I have a call tomorrow with a guy in one of my masterminds and he's a big marketing guy. And it's been weeks that he's like, take these videos, put them on your YouTube channel, do a zoom, get people on. And I was like, well, what if nobody signs up for it? Or, you know, what if I don't want to put my face out? Like even this, the first time I did the podcast, asking more to do it, I was terrified. Like, I don't like putting my face out there and asking people to do this stuff. Like I always have anxiety about it, but I know that on Wednesday, when I get on that call and I'm the only idiot who didn't do the zoom and didn't update my YouTube page and didn't promote it. It's like, you know, like, so you have that accountability and I, I just like that, you know, just having somebody to answer to and wanting to show up with all these other key players. You don't want to be the one guy who's not making moves and everybody else is. It's just, I don't know, something about that that just pushes you and holds you accountable, which I think is a big deal because there's a lot of things I'm doing now that are uncomfortable that I wouldn't be doing if I didn't have to answer to, you know, my mastermind and my group of peers and all that kind of stuff every week. So to me, that's it's just been a really helpful thing. It's been worth every penny. I think that's the biggest challenge that single operators or small business people face is they don't have any accountability. There's nobody telling them what to do or holding them accountable to the ideas that they have. I mean, they have great ideas that we're going to implement this. We're going to do that. They do it for a few weeks and then it fizzles out. I mean, we've all, I'm totally guilty of that. And uh, that's the difference between the guys that perform at just that next level is the accountability. And I think that that goes back with the, you know, in the real estate with the joint venturing, you know, doing it with a team is huge. If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, build a team and go with a team. I love that, man. I think that's awesome. So um, what are some of the things now that you're doing to adjust your, your business model for the current events that are happening with the coronavirus? I know it sounds like you're going back and you're hitting some of your older leads or some of the people that were on the fence before, but um, you know, what are some, some tactics or things that you've shifted in the last couple of weeks for these projects? Yeah. Um, I mean, with the stuff that we have under construction under construction or that we're, we already bought, um, we're kind of pausing on the, on one of the construction projects because we already have like five units that are done, ready to rent. And we got another five in construction. So I'm like, don't, you know, don't start anymore. Like let's conserve cash right now. Um, we are hammering like yard signs, banners, flyers, PDFs, like trying to push uh, new tenants coming into those buildings. Uh, I've reached out to all my uh, mortgage brokers, or, you know, the people that hold the mortgages and just said, Hey, you know, we're okay right now, but just wanted to communicate. This is what's going on. And I'm going to continue to communicate. Like, here's what we thought we were going to collect this is what we collected last month. Here's what we're collecting now. Just, just keeping them up to date, researching some of those forbearance programs. And just in case we need some of those, I think that it's good to be aware of that, you know, start working on an SBA line of credit. If you, if you need that, I mean, they got 3.75% interest with a 30 year amortization payback. Like, you might even just want to just get that if you can get it. Um, and then as far as my efforts for acquisitions, um, yeah, continuing to, to reach out on stuff that's under contract. Okay, this is a good one. If you go on LoopNet and you see something or, or Catalyst or MLS, you see something that looks great, but, oh, it's pending, it's under contract. We've gotten two deals that were under contract that, that 
suddenly have evaporated. Uh, people are scared. I mean, the buyers are scared too. They're like, well, you know, I think I just want to wait my due diligence. And if your due diligence is expiring right now, this is probably the worst time to be under contract. I mean, I would not want to be under contract right now. Like if I put it under contract a month ago or two months ago, it, I would be pushing for extensions. Um, I would not be trying to close right now. Uh, that's just my own personal risk tolerance. But um, so I think it's a good time to put stuff under contract, but a lot of people that are, are already under contract are trying to flake out and you can scoop up that, that contract. Nice. Are you doing any wholesaling with your properties? Are you, you looking to keep all of them right now? Um, you know, I, I've never wholesaled anything. Um, so, but we, we, I can't say I haven't considered it. Um, especially with, we've got one that's like a really good deal in a really good market and, but it's a little bit smaller. And so it'd be a good one for like somebody first starting out. Um, and it would be nice to, to, to pick up some cash in this economic scenario. So I am selling one of my single family homes that I bought five years ago because the numbers are not, it's like, I, I bought it for a hundred it's worth 180. I can only rent it for 1300 and the taxes are like $3,500 a year. And so it's like my margin there, even though I have a lot of wiggle room because the mortgage is so low, it's like, it's time to, to, to pull that hundred grand out. You know, I only owe 70,000 on the house and it's worth 180. I'm, I'm thinking about as long as I'm not going to fire sale it, but if I can liquidate that cash, I think I can deploy it in a better way over this next economic period. Um, and so I think that's something to look at. If you're looking at your portfolio, look at some of those things that are just not getting the multiples you think that they could or should that you bought a while ago. This might be a time, maybe not in the next two or three weeks because stuff is tough, but I, I think that's a, a good time to sell too and get some cash. I think that that also, again, everything creates opportunities. So the same people that I'm seeing are scared they don't want to pull their retirement. They're your private money lenders that are maybe investing 50, 100, 150,000. I've had conversations with multiple people that lost 20, 30, 35% of their retirement in days when this just happened with the coronavirus. So it's like, if you're really scared, what did we really lose in the real estate side? Like my rents haven't gone down. We'll see really what happens on April 1st, maybe for two or three months or some type of weird things with the forbearance. But I'm actually hoping that people watching that money go away are going to see that investing with people like you and I is a tangible real estate assets that we know what we're doing. We have a track record. We have numbers to back those things up is going to be a way safer, more logical thing to do with your money than just leaving it where it is. Cause this is the, the God forbid, what happens if this, what happens if that it's like, well, this just came literally out of nowhere. You couldn't have done anything to stop it. If your money was with me or you in one of our projects, you would have been fine, but you lost 30% because it was in wall street or whatever. So you know, I'm, I'm hoping that it doesn't turn into a long-term thing. But again, I'm always looking at like numbers wise, it's usually pretty easy to see that real estates usually, especially multi-unit stuff in those middle-class areas are some of the safest tangible assets you can buy if things do go bad everywhere else in the world. Even in the last recession, I know a lot of people that they took beatings because they over leveraged themselves on homes and bought bad properties. But when you're buying them smart and you have those numbers and you have those cushions, they did pretty good on them. And that rent actually helped sustain them and survive them through those bad times when the economy wasn't helping them with their jobs. That, and that's exactly what my dad told me, you know, and he said, my net worth on paper took a beating because those 
single family homes weren't worth as much, quote unquote, but I didn't care. I wasn't selling them. I was renting them. My rents didn't go down. My rents went up or stayed the same. My mortgages stayed the same. And and those values, those homes came right back up. And in commercial, you know, they're not, that's not even as um, sensitive to the market. It, it's more based off of the net operating income. So you can kind of control the value of that building. And that's where, yeah, I'm, I'm nervous. Like, I, I don't know who's going to pay rent next month or the month after that. But at the same time, I also know that I'm not going to lose those buildings and lose my investors' money over this scenario because the government is going to um, prevent that in the short term. And so, as long as I do my part, I manage, I collect what I can, keep those rent or keep those mortgages paid. If something like out of the realm of normal is happening, there's going to be forbearance programs. There's going to be stuff that's going to prop us up for. Three, six. I mean, I've even heard about there's 12 month forbearance where you don't have to make a mortgage payment for a year um, on your personal home if you've been affected by the coronavirus. So the government seems like willing to help stabilize people. And yeah, those those apartments are still worth what they're worth. They're still renting for what they're renting. I'm still amortizing debt. They're still going up in value in the long term. And I feel really safe about that versus like, I can't help an oil embargo in Iran or coronavirus or, you know, if, if the, the Apple CEO is smoking a joint or with uh, Elon Musk, I mean, you know, that stuff is crazy that that's affecting your retirement. Yeah. No, I mean, I but I'll say people that believe in stocks and want to do stocks, I, I think it's a little bit like beating your head against the wall, trying to convince them to invest in real estate. I've found go after the entrepreneurs and go after the people that are already invested in real estate. Like you don't have to change their entire worldview. Like they already believe in real estate. They already understand the model. Why are you trying to go after somebody that their entire life have been indoctrinated by IBM, by mutual funds? Like that's, I I think that's a lot harder than go to the guy that's got a, a few rental homes and show him how he can invest with you in a multifamily or go with the guy that started up a, um, you know, a digital media company or an e-com company, and he's got a lot of cash, he's willing to take risks, and he's got a ton of money in the stock market already, and he doesn't want to put any more in there, That that's your guy. You know, not the guy that's got his whole nest egg and believes in his stockbroker and is with Edward Jones for the last 25 years. I think that's going to be a really hard sell to get that guy to pull his money out and put it in something that's perceived as way more risky just because you're not the establishment. I think that that's wise words, man. I appreciate that. So in closing, um, people want to find you. People want to work with you. They maybe want to buy. If you decide you want to wholesale that deal or you're looking for partners or whatever it is, um, how can people work with you? How can people find you on websites, social media? Yeah. Um, I mean, everywhere. It, Live Oak Investments, that's our Facebook page. There's a picture of people sitting on a beach. Um, my name is Jennings Smith. I'm on Facebook. Um, you can go to liveoakcapitalfunds.com. Uh, that's our website. Or you can go to rentliveoak.com. That's our property management company. Um, but yeah, Google my name. You'll find me. And uh, I'd love to connect with you, put you on our mailing list. And, and the mailing list is who we send our deals out to first. So if you want to put a $50,000 share with us or $100,000 share with us and get in on one of our deals, that's a good way. Even if you just want to see how we're doing this and copy us, get on my mailing list. And uh, 
you can you can get a blueprint to to something you want to build yourselves. That's outstanding, man. Any uh, any final thoughts for anybody listening, whether they're just starting out looking to pick up their first multi unit or just somebody who's a little bit scared right now? What's going on in the market? Any um, any words of wisdom in your last last minute on the show? Just do it. <laughs> you know, you got to just take the the next step. Um, do the next thing that that you see in front of you, and and then then I think the next step will reveal itself. So, you, but you just gotta take action. Just do it. Awesome, man. Well, I appreciate it. I really appreciate you reaching out. I really appreciate you connecting. I got a lot out of our conversation. I could have kept it going for a long time. I know you're quarantined in there. You got to get back to work. I will put uh, all your contact information and all your links and stuff in the show notes for this, and I'll send you a link. But uh, Jennings Smith, my guest today, always brings his A game. Thank you very much, sir. I appreciate it. And uh, I hope you're not locked down too long, but I hope you uh, make the most out of it. And anything I can ever do for you, um, just reach out, man. Text me, email me, call me. I'm always happy to help. All right. Thanks, Nick. I appreciate it. If you guys are getting anything from the podcast and some of the great knowledge and tips that the guests are sharing, please take a minute and leave a review on iTunes or any of your platforms with some stars and some comments, helping spread the promotion and spread some visibility for the podcast, for the guests, and for the knowledge so we can continue to do this. It'd only take a minute. I appreciate it if you guys could take the time. It would go a very, very long way. Again, leave a review on iTunes, start to share, start to spread the word. I really would appreciate it if you're getting anything out of this. Thank you.